beautiful. We have some lights and decoration and flowers and hanging things and just some portraits of awesome women that we just can't wait to hang up. We're really making the podcast studio just better and prettier. <laughs> yeah, I think um I think we had like exactly what we wanted at the mm -hmm. old studio yeah. and then it was like we had just gotten it just right and mm -hmm. then just like upheaval like yep. everything moved all at once <laughs> and um just haven't gotten around to fixing it so here we are here we are in the new space and I mean old space new stuff um <laughs> mostly girly stuff really. yeah lots of girly stuff um which is good because we like that and it already feels like warmer to me because like mm -hmm. you know the podcast studio gets very cold um so <laughs> <laughs> there's a huge window though. yeah there's That's a ginormous the window but it feels yeah just more homey and cold and this is one of the first times it had like I can tell it's getting to be spring now because it's not dark at 4 30 when we come together to record it's great it really is great <laughs> Um, oh. But we're not here to talk about the studio. No, we're here to talk about history On the Rocks with Katie and Allie. This is a podcast where we talk about famous women in history. And we talk about good women and bad women and fictional women and non-fictional women from all times and places because women have nuance. But keep in mind, we are drinking the entire time. <laughs> and we are not historians. Mm -hmm. And guess what I found out this week? What? Tess says that along with us. Really? That's what she said. <laughs> That's so great. I wonder how many people do that. I do that with podcasts. Oh, I do too. Sure. Like, I'm Phoebe Judge, and this is criminal. I do it every single fucking time because I love the way she says it. <laughs> and I mean, you just spend so much time with like podcasts. Yes. Like, like, I don't know. I just thought it was really great that she said that. I was like, yeah. yes, it means we have our rhythm down. But now I just threw the rhythm off by oh, telling totally this story. <laughs> <laughs> we got a new uh, review this week from mm -hmm. Rebecca Denauer. Thank you. Um, we, we talked about Misty's review last week, right? No, we, you sent oh. me a thing of it, but I we don't we didn't talk about it. Oh I don't my gosh, think. we got so many good reviews mm -hmm. the past few weeks. So thank you guys because it's old listeners and new listeners mm -hmm. giving us reviews. It's super sweet, and we love it, and we just love to hear from you. Um, and go out and review other people's podcasts. Yeah, it was so funny because I was listening to um this podcast that I love called uh, I Said No Gifts, and <laughs> and they're like a like a big podcast on this huge network and and he was like I never realized how like thirsty I was for Apple podcast reviews until I had my own podcast and then it's like you know and they have like thousands of them and he's yeah. like I just always want more like and he goes and now I review every podcast and like I feel the same way like when I feel really strongly I'm like I'm gonna write them a review it, it definitely is a big do dopamine hit. Oh, when, it is. When it happens, you're like, oh, I'm doing something. I said words and someone listened yes. to it. Um, but you guys are busy. Oh, you're so busy. We're sitting here drinking and we're yeah. not busy. We, mm -hmm. we have time to spare. Yep. <laughs> um, but you are... Sweeping, I think. Sweeping, and I think probably. it's one of those things where like you're lifting up the corner of the rug and like sweeping underneath because mm -hmm. company is about to come over. Oh, yeah. You don't have time. No. You don't have time for anything. Yeah, you absolutely. You have to get the house like where you know where all the junk is, but people can't see it when they walk in. Mm. That's the best. It, it's a really good feeling. <laughs> so because of that, you don't have time to stop and Google these women. Absolutely not. So in order for you to get a nice picture in your head while we're telling their stories, we are going to describe what they look like. We are going to get a little physical, physical. physical. Allie, who are you doing and what does she look like? 
I'm doing Virginia Hall, and I love Virginia <laughs> Hall, so this is going to be what we did. <laughs> Virginia Hall is an American woman with light skin and dark hair pulled back with a side part, which is the correct part, <laughs> Gen Z. <laughs> I included side part in my description, too. <laughs> Listen, I was so on Gen Z's side for so long. I was like, they're the new voice of America. I'm behind you. I'm not going to be a crotchety old woman. Woman. And I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> it's great. Okay, with a side fart. She has long arched eyebrows that are exaggerated on her wanted posters. I think she is quite pretty, but she was definitely not a traditional beauty at the time. It's like she had some really soft features yeah. and then some really not soft mm. features. Mm-hmm. Like with she had a very slim and pointy nose. Again, very exaggerated in her wanted posters. But most importantly, She had a limp because one of her legs was prosthetic from the knee down. Oh, shit. Okay. So that's Virginia Hall. Just give you a little taste. (laughs) That's second story. So you got to wait. All right. Um, So this week I am doing the incredible um, trans activist hero, Cecilia Chung. Um, She is a petite Chinese American woman with a round face and a wide smile, which brings out the laugh lines in her face. She can typically be seen with long black hair, which she wears straight and parted to the side, (laughs) Um, but with some rogue action in the front. So some cute blonde streaks framing her face. She often wears statement glasses that have just some kind of like character to them whether they be bright red or black with like red flowers on the upper right corner she can be so like not symmetrical yeah not symmetrical yeah yeah it's very cute she can be seen wearing anything from serious business attire while she is working hard on trans medical rights legislation to a full-on red gown with a rainbow sash when she is acting as the grand marshal for the 2016 new york city pride parade and that is what Cecilia Chung looks like. <laughs> That's really cool. She sounds really cute. I I don't think I cute. I would recognize. I would probably recognize if I saw a picture, but I don't know what she looks like. Yeah, I mean, I've never heard of her before. Okay. I started this research, and I just I like fell in love with her. <laughs> I feel like that's the journey I'm on most weeks. Yep, exactly. <laughs> uh, okay, so why don't you tell me what I'm drinking? Because okay. it looks delish. It is like bright, bright color. It is bright, bright, bright blue (laughs) yeah um so this is called cecilia's connection i was kind of thinking along the lines of like the song rainbow connection because i was thinking of like you know lgbtq pride and things like that so um i decided to model this cocktail after the trans pride flag uh it didn't turn out quite as uh i wanted it to (laughs) I see. I see what you're doing now. Yeah, I want it because like the trans flag is light blue and light pink and white, and it's like you know the stripes. And so I was like, all right, well, I'm gonna get some layers in here. So it is an ounce of blue curacao, two ounces of vanilla vodka, and you shake that together with an egg white, and you pour it into a glass, and then you pour grenadine right down the middle so it sits on the bottom. So the vision was to have like, you know, the red grenadine and then the blue curacao and then the white foam from the egg white. Um, But I failed to remember that the blue curacao would also stain the foam. So it's light blue foam. (laughs) Actually, the foam is the right color for the trans It is. Absolutely. (laughs) So what would 
that. And oh, and then you garnish it with an orange because she um has Chinese heritage. So like, you know, an orange is just a symbol of like, you know, good luck and fortune and just good things. So cheers. cheers. I can't wait to taste it. Mm. Mm. The vanilla is a really nice. T- I love yeah. vanilla and orange together. Oh, I don't like too. it in a chocolate bar, but I like yeah. it in a drink. <laughs> Oh, I do love that. And then you can just mix on that in the orange grenadine. around, mix the grenadine in because sometimes it just gets kind of lost when it's sitting yeah. at the bottom. This is very reminiscent of the um, Wonder Woman cocktail that we mm, did because mm-hmm. it was like the grenadine, but it was hypnotic, not grenadine. Yeah, yeah it was like a different <laughs> blue. Ah, uh, well, thank you for making me this. I'm of so excited course. to drink it and to hear this story of Cecilia. Okay, so... I was actually supposed to do um, someone else this week. Mm -hmm. And then I just started getting really sick, to be honest with you, of transphobic people on Facebook. It was just really getting me down um, because I felt like I was in this perfect storm of like seeing news articles about hate crimes against, you know, Asian people because of coronavirus. I know Mm -hmm. our sister-in-law has been posting a lot of things that really are enlightening me about it, which I appreciate. And, um, just, I, I'm going to, I'm just going to call her out Krista Ward on Facebook. She's this girl I went to high school with and she is constantly posting transphobic things and it drives me nuts Mm. because I feel like it's, just something that people just think like oh I can make fun of it because like you know transitioning or whatever is like you know they're just doing it for attention and as we will see like Cecilia makes a point she's like like we talked about that with Leah T too she's like it is so hard what I'm doing and like I wouldn't just make this decision on a whim like Wait, this <laughs> it is, is not, something I feel not like I have me. to yeah. do like it does not lead to like super fun things all the time you know and like I just I wanted to do this story because I just felt like it was important because I just felt like I was getting a barrage from lots of people um just with a lot of uh transphobia and hate so so I decided to do something about it good job (laughs) and And we'll do Evelyn Yoshimura some other time yeah and I mean also like it's it's been hit on a lot this year in the news after like the comments of JK Rowling Mm -hmm. so I think like I think it's time that we address it like front on. We've oh, mentioned yeah. it, but I think it's yeah, a good and we've story covered time. other trans yeah, women and absolutely. things like that. But I just, I just really wanted to, yeah, do a story and bring some attention on it because I was, yeah, just getting like sick to my stomach this week watching that. Um, well, enlighten me. Okay, so I got most of this information from interviews with her. Um, so there was one um, called Transvisionaries: How Trans HIV AIDS Advocate Cecilia Chung channeled her anger into activism by Raquel Willis. And then This Positive Life, Cecilia Chung on Violence, Gender, Prisons, Family, and Healing by Olivia G. Ford. And then there were some uh, video interviews I watched with her um, that were taken at the uh, National AIDS Memorial. Um, Just like, you know, I think like every like couple of years, they just like sit down with people who experienced like that time in history. And they're like, what's going on? Like, you know, and so, um, so that was really important. And then of course just Wikipedia. Um, okay. Okay. So she's older than she's in her sixties. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like fifties or sixties. Okay. Um, cool. Yeah. Cause she was born in 1965. Mm-hmm. So 40 plus 20, 40 60. plus 20. Yep. So she's yeah 65 right now. Um, maybe about to be 66. Okay. Cecilia Chung was born in 1965 in Hong Kong to very traditional Chinese parents who 
also just so happened to be Catholic. So just a very strict household for anyone, let alone a young trans girl who wasn't fully aware of her identity yet. We don't know too much about her younger years, um, but she says that they were very difficult because she was very effeminate from a young age, which really disappointed uh, her parents, but especially her father. She said that he would just never even be able to hide the disapproval on his face when he would look at her. Um, And this was, again, even more difficult because Cecilia describes not really knowing why she felt different, why she didn't act like other kids. Like a lot of trans youth, it took her until her late teens to really realize like what was going on. And were they living in Hong Kong? Yes. Okay. So do you think that that even magnified her father's disapproval? Because, I mean, isn't it more culturally acceptable to want a son? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So the fact that she you know, was assigned male at birth and then is acting effeminate is probably like over amplified because of the area. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, But and while she's trying to figure all this out, she ends up getting uprooted from Hong Kong and she moves to Australia when she was in high school, uh, which she said was really intense culture shock. So now she's in this new country and not only is she not fitting in gender wise, she's now in a predominantly white country, which she had never been before. Okay. She said, you know, it wasn't too bad at first, just some average racism when she's in school. (laughs) Um, But she was initially living in a Chinese community at the time with her extended family. So like, it was kind of, uh, uh, what do you call it? Like separated. Like a cultural region. Like yeah. Side yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like quite as bad. Um, but she was eventually sent to boarding school, which started a whole new world of racism and harassment. She said, I almost had a nervous breakdown because I just didn't know how to adjust to a completely different environment. It was very anti-immigrant. I was constantly told, go back to your country or get back on the boat. And I dealt with all kinds of pejoratives, too. And of course, she's also facing a lot of bullying for being more effeminate in a largely male environment, which she wasn't alone in. She didn't quite know who she was yet, but she always knew that it was her job to defend other people who couldn't defend themselves. She talks in one interview about a group of about 12 kids that she organized into a group when she was in high school. They were all shy and again, like a little more effeminate and they were bullied. And just in this male dominated school, they were just tortured by other kids well you know what i heard Mm -hmm. this week on um harry potter and the sacred text casper was talking about hating boarding school yeah um and he was because i have never experienced living at school but he was saying like for the in kids for the popular kids boarding school is such a great experience you're independent you get to make your own decisions you're in the in crowd but for the non-popular kids you never get to escape home to your parents Mm. so you're stuck in that like mistreatment day and night yeah there is literally no escape for months at a time yeah so I'm imagining this for poor Cecilia oh yeah so what she did was she was like you know what if we are going to literally just survive like we need to stick together so she literally got all these kids together and she was like the chances of them fighting us and hurting us are significantly less if we're in a group so they grouped together and any free time any lunchtime after school they just stuck together and they ended up like forming this really great friendship with one another because at first it was just kind of like all right we got to 
<laughs> we got a band up, you know, like this is really bad. It's like a phalanx. When yeah, they their shield. exactly. <laughs> um, and then through their friendship, they ended up gaining a lot of respect for each other. And then she said other people followed suit and they really helped each other, not only find friendship and connection, but also overcome bullying in a nonviolent way. That's so great. It's great. Um, so in 1984, she and her family immigrated to the U.S., where Cecilia started college at the City College of San Francisco before transferring to Golden Gate University in 1987. Um, so now she's in San Francisco, and that's where she'll stay. Like, this is her home now. Okay. After college, Cecilia got uh, a few jobs and was just trying to make her way in the world while also coming to terms with the fact that she was not just effeminate, but she was indeed a woman. She, but she was in no real position to make that kind of change. I mean, she had two really good jobs, one in a financial firm where she would work like 16 hour days monitoring the New York and China financial markets. She was training account executives on how to sell and like buy accounts. So she was like suit and tie business person. Yes. Wow. (laughs) And that was just one of her jobs, which I can't even imagine having that one. Uh, She also had a job working as a courtroom interpreter. So people who, you know, spoke Mandarin could uh, get accurate, you know, representation in court, (laughs) which is really important. Yeah, it really is. Um, And at this time, I mean, she is making six figures. She's working crazy hours, but she is just not happy with how she's living her life. So after a lot of just internal battling, she was like, I can't live like this anymore. And she starts her transition, um, but quickly realizes that she just couldn't keep it all up, um, especially in two very conservative male dominated environments. So uh, when she started taking estrogen, she decided to quit the stressful financial job and she focused on the courtroom job. It was something she just enjoyed more and it wasn't as the hours weren't as long. So it was just more steady and stable. But people started to notice that she was changing. And she said it probably wasn't a coincidence that shortly after she started developing breast tissue under her suits and ties that she was fired from that job. And after this, it was a major snowball of events. Um, When she came out to her family, they rejected her and stopped speaking to her. So she now had no job and no one was super keen on hiring an Asian transgender woman. And she, of course, fell into some pretty bad situations trying to cope with all this and support herself. There was some substance abuse involved. I don't really know any specifics, um, but then she had to turn to sex work to support herself. And this led to some dangerous circumstances for her, um, mainly because she kept getting arrested for solicitation. So this is survival sex. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, jail is not obviously a positive place for, um, uh, lots of people, but you know, especially a transgender Asian woman, uh, this, and unfortunately, uh, when she was placed in jail once, um, she described being coerced by a fellow inmate into having, unprotected sex which was really traumatic and that's the language she like she uses like she's always describes it as being coerced so she never really goes into too much detail but you know she also does make a point like they I don't know what the situation was but she's like they were in a like I felt like they were in a position of power over me right um and then um so This happens in jail. And then, of course, there was other violence on the streets that she was experiencing. But the biggest fear she had during this time was 
the fact that she's doing all this in the HIV AIDS epidemic. So she's fearing that she could die. Yes. And I think we always just assumed that the AIDS epidemic was like solely a product of the 1980s. But it's really important to remember that it was really at its peak in the 90s with 1995 being the worst year for AIDS related deaths in the U.S. And of course, Cecilia is in one of the hubs of the AIDS epidemic, San Francisco. She was trying to be as careful as possible during this time using protection, you know, as often as she could and getting tested frequently. But of course, as we can see from her experience in jail, that wasn't always, you know, in her complete control. And three months after that assault in jail, In 1993, Cecilia tested positive for HIV, and she knew that that's where she had gotten it from. Right. And I mean, at that point, it's a death (sighs) sentence, right? Yeah. I mean, this was a huge blow for her because, yeah, because at this point, yeah, most people assumed, like, you are going to die. And the HIV counselor that told her her diagnosis said, you have six months to a year. (gasps) And why shouldn't she believe that? I mean, her friends are dying left and right, and they were just coming off the Reagan administration who just left them to die. And uh, like, yeah, she was like, okay, yeah, I I am dying. And that's just the fact of the matter. And then, of course, she had to deal with the personal side of things, telling her family. So Cecilia went to her mother and told her about her diagnosis. She thought she owed it to her to tell her that her daughter is most likely going to die before she does, which, of course, made her feel terrible she was like i just felt like i was doing everything wrong a good chinese kid takes care of their parents when they get older and now i won't be able to do that and then of course the catholic guilt started bubbling up as well she kept telling herself this is what happens this is god's way of punishing you you transitioned you're an abomination this is god's way of telling you he doesn't approve you did this wrong to yourself exactly yeah Thankfully, though, the sickness never came. She remained HIV positive, of course, still is today, um, but it never developed into AIDS, which is really good. Um, But it didn't mean the stigma wasn't there. And it also didn't mean that she was in a suddenly very different financial situation. And it didn't mean that she knew that she was going to be out of the woods for years. She thought every morning when she woke up that like that would be the beginning of the end. She was like, the sickness has to come for me eventually. She even started to use more drugs around this time because she was like, well, I'm going to die in a year anyways. Why not dull the pain and quicken up the process a bit? Right. Exactly. But things took another turn in 1995 when two men tried to sexually assault Cecilia. They kidnapped her. They grabbed her, put her in the back of a car, took her to an abandoned parking lot outside of the city, tried to rape her, and she started defending herself. And they, of course, did not like this. So a knife came out and one of them stabbed her. She tried to block the knife, but ended up uh, hitting the knife, ended up hitting her wrist and slashed her wrist, (gasps) cutting a main artery. No. And she's like far out of town. Yeah. She's outside of San Francisco. Oh, my God. Just an abandoned parking lot. She screamed, running through the parking lot, but passed out quickly due to the loss of blood. Right. Thank The men ran off, but thankfully someone heard her, and they came and found her, and she was rushed to the hospital, um, where thankfully she survived, obviously, because we're still trying to tell her story. <laughs> um, and they called her emergency contact, her mom. Cecilia said, I think that's when my mom realized that my transition was not for fun. 
that it was truly who I was. I was just trying to live my true self. It was a long journey, but finally, I think she got it, but it's a price to pay. I think that that knife attack, ironically, started the healing process for my family. Whatever blood bled out of me also helped to bleed out all the bad blood I had with my family. In many ways, the healing with my mother starts with her coming to the hospital, visiting me, and then shortly after, more healing began. It's just like, and that's, I just, I think that quote is so important where she's like, my mom finally realized like this wasn't a lark. I wasn't doing this. It's not a phase. It's not a phase. It's who I literally am as a person. Mm -hmm. Like no one wants to like, (laughs) it's like, do you think that I like would rather like, like, like any person would rather have the six figure job, you know, in the financial markets rather than be doing this. She's like, but I can't not. Right. I, I don't want not. to be thrown in a van yeah. and stabbed. I don't exactly. want to be thrown in prison and coerced into sex. I yeah. don't like I don't want this. No. Um, but thankfully, you know, along with her family healing, her own healing began too. She said Ooh, I will say though, yeah. that is the box that we put marginalized people into. What? By making them have to jump through these horribly terrible hoops just to live oh, their yeah. life. Yeah. yeah. Well, also, because, like, I knew, um, like, a lot of trans people when I was in college, and, like, they would talk about, like, it is not easy. Like, you have to get two different, like, signed notes from two different, like, psychologists that, like, you have talked to and spent hours in therapy being like, yes, this person is trans. Like, it is, like, I think people just say, like, oh, I am. So, like, there we go. Like, you know, give me the surgery. It's not an easy journey to make you know like yeah and uh, yeah that's why when people kind of like scoff at like oh what am I supposed to call you a different name now oh I forgot it's like what you're not you you think you're scoffing at one word but you're scoffing at like years of somebody like making a decision and Mm -hmm. knowing who they are and living out their true self it's like you are an asshole yeah exactly (laughs) in the truest form (laughs) friend um but yeah I mean after this she was like I don't want to die because of drugs or sex work or anything like that before HIV takes me she's like I want to fight for my life so um, she entered a rehab program with other people who also had HIV and she started to really regain focus on her life and then in 1998 Cecilia's mom chose to take her to Bangkok and pay for her gender reassignment surgery oh wow I know mom her mom to the rescue i just like what a great thing to be like not only am i like good with this and i love you but i'm going to help you realize your true self which is incredible i mean you know when you're having a bad day as an adult and all you want is like for somebody else to take care of shit like always all you want is like (laughs) can my mom please like make a comforting dinner like even though she lives a half hour away like please yeah it's like that only absolutely to a much bigger scale (laughs) it's like yes somebody is handling my adult problems for me thank you (laughs) and then her father even got on board after a while and they healed their relationships and her mother even brought Cecilia's grandparents to come see her. And they all went out to lunch together. It was the first time her grandparents had seen her as her true self. And her grandmother told her that she was beautiful. Mm. Which warms my heart. <laughs> and Cecilia said that she was so grateful that they did rec- reconcile when they did. Because 
Her grandparents got to know her before they passed away, which is something that you can't get back if you miss, which I want to make a point of because she makes a point of it. She wants people to know that healing after a major rejection like that, it is possible. It doesn't happen for everyone, but it is possible, you Mm. know, I, and she's just incredibly grateful that it did. You know, she has her family back now, which is crucial. Um, so after years of uncertainty and hardship, Cecilia finally felt like she was in a position to help other people who went through similar circumstances to herself. She got to thinking, well, there was no protection for me. I didn't have anywhere to go. So I need to make sure that other people have the help that I didn't have. So first she started working as an HIV test counselor. She said that was really important to her because her first counselor who gave her her diagnosis was not very nice to her. And she could feel the judgment coming off of them while they're giving her the diagnosis. And it's like, no one wants to hear like, this is your fault and you have six months to live. So she was like, I don't want anyone to feel that way. So if I'm the one. (laughs) No, it's not. So she was like, if I can give people at least a little bit of hope when I give them this awful diagnosis, she was like, I want to be able to do that. Um, She was also a substance abuse counselor for a while and a caseworker for homeless programs, just trying to help anyone who struggled with the same thing she did. In 1998, she joined a nonprofit board representing the trans community. um, And then she just continued her work representing folks that couldn't speak up for themselves, which she said, of course, isn't without its struggles. Um, She still deals with a lot of people assuming things about her. She says because she is like petite and unassuming, um, people often just assume that she's not trans and like can question her involvement in the movement. So she says she always goes into situations being like, yes, I'm a trans woman and I'm extremely proud of that. And she just has never stopped working as an advocate for transgender people and also people living with HIV. She became the HIV program coordinator at Asian Pacific Islander um, American Health Forum. She became the first transgender woman and first Asian to be elected to lead the board of directors of the San Francisco Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, and Transgender Pride Celebration. Well, this took a turn. I know. (laughs) I'm telling you. (laughs) Wow. I know. (laughs) Uh, And she was the first transgender woman as well as the first person living openly with HIV to chair the San Francisco Human Rights Commission. She founded the San Francisco Transgender Advocacy and Mentorship Group to provide events for the transgender community through the San Francisco LGBT Community Center. She was also one of the founders of the annual Trans March. In 2005, she became the first deputy director of the Transgender Law Center in 2013, she, she made headlines by making San Francisco the first city in the country to pay for gender reassignment surgery for uninsured transgender patients after she was appointed to the health commission by Mayor Edward Lee. No way. So wait, is that yes. still true in San Francisco? Is that still possible? Yes, I think so. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if things have been rolled back after the Trump administration. Because I, I you know. feel like that was a problem during yeah, the Trump yeah. administration. Yeah, <laughs> it definitely was. Um, but that's incredible. So I know. They're paying for it for uninsured yeah. people. Mm-hmm. Wow. 
Um, and through this appointment, you know, to the health commission, she was also able to provide training to San, to the San Francisco Department of Public Health staff members around transgender issues. She called it transgender 101 so that people who are caring for other people can actually know what the fuck they're talking about and doing and know how to care for these people because that's not in the regular nursing handbooks at this time. Like no, when I, they got their licenses, like I hope it is now. I don't know. My favorite thing is, so I still, I know it's like a dinosaur. I still listen <laughs> to the radio sometimes <laughs> and like the actual radio. And sometimes there'll be a, a commercial for like um, a health organization and they'll mm-hmm. be like, we are transgender certified oh yeah like affirming yeah i see that all the time on facebook and it's like yes thank you Mm. i know my kids um my kids what is it called pediatrics Mm -hmm. pediatrician the Mm. pediatrician office they have like a big sign in every single office that says we serve all families and it has like all these different like gay pride flags on it and it's like great I, I love looking at it because it's just like yes this is true and it's true for children this starts in the pediatric world it doesn't yeah. you're not just like I'm an adult and I'm making a new decision <laughs> no that's not how it works no exactly like I also again I don't know the stupid things I see on Facebook it was like it's like like kids aren't allowed to drive cars why are they allowed to you know change genders and it's like Maybe because gender is a construct. And if you don't listen to your children, like it can have horrible repercussions. Like they don't feel loved if you're not fucking listening to them. Like what the hell? (laughs) It just, yeah, made me so angry. The absurdity. Okay. (laughs) Um, She also is just a huge advocate for HIV issues in specifically Asian and Pacific Islander communities because they are often ignored and underrepresented. She said that a lot of this is due to a lack of communication with immigrant communities, you know, language barriers and things like that, and also a lack of communication within these communities. She talks about like seeing this in her specific community. She's like, you know, might be different with other, you know, Asian Pacific Islander communities, but she was like, people of of Asian descent that I know, you know, don't like to talk about sex or anything related to it. So they have extremely low testing rates for HIV, which means a lot of them don't catch it and get treatment in time. And it turns into AIDS. Again, I'm using the term like turns into AIDS. I don't know if that's correct. <laughs> that's no, I think how you're I right. I think it like, develops. You can develop yeah, AIDS. Yeah, from like, HIV. From HIV. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so she works on creating a more inclusive language environment to help get the word out on testing and prevention, because it's also important to remember that the Asian Pacific Islander communities do not all speak the same language and they don't have the same cultures. So there needs to be like, not only a translation for people, there needs to be diverse translations and like, you need this specific dialect. Okay. Like, here's the thing for you, you know, to like. I, she is just trying so hard to just reach everyone she can. She's trying to make resources available yes. to people. Yes, which she is, is. Honestly, the most important thing is to give people resources yeah. so that they can figure out what to do and what decisions to make for themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Um, she also advocates for the better treatment of trans inmates in prison because they are a population that is regularly left out of the conversation. She said, we need to be critical of the treatment of transgender people who are incarcerated <laughs> And transgender people who are trapped in the criminal justice system. Those people should have resources provided to them, not taken away. Mm. 
Today, she is the Senior Director of Strategic Projects at the Transgender Law Center, and she directs Positively Trans, a project addressing the structural inequalities driving poor health outcomes and high rates of HIV AIDS among transgender people through research, policy advocacy, and storytelling. Through its National Advisory Board, this initiative strengthens the leadership of a host of transgender people living with HIV and AIDS. And thankfully for so many people, she has no plans to stop working, talking, and learning. She said, I am where I am today because someone believed in me and gave me the opportunity to serve my community. And what I do today is to pay it forward and create opportunities for other trans and gender non-conforming people of color and those who choose not to define by any of the categories. And there's always more that I can learn. And that is the story so far. I love that we could always update. I know. I love that. Wow. I just want people to be paying attention to her because I think that she is so important and I have never heard of her. (laughs) And I just think she's doing a lot of work that is flying under the radar because we don't want to be looking at it, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and I just think it's really important. And, uh, you know, a a lot of trans activism has been really silenced Mm -hmm. up until very, very recently. And now there's a lot of pushback against it. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, it's just one of those things where it's every, I think every trans person that I learn more and more about, I'm just like more educated on like, okay, this is so important and everybody Mm -hmm. has such a different story and such a different background and we Mm -hmm. just need to learn more and more and more. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, All right. Well, let's get some more cocktails. Let's do it. I can't wait to hear about Virginia Hall. (laughs) Girl. I can't wait. She's going to hit the fan. (laughs) We'll be right back. Bye. Name three men from history off the top of your head. Uh, Washington, Adams, Jefferson. Okay. Now name three women. Uh, um, Tubman, Anthony, um, uh, Roosevelt. Eleanor. Okay. It took you longer to name the women. Okay. (laughs) Harsh, but yes. (laughs) One of the biggest reasons that this happens is that there's consistency in the K-12 curriculum on which men need to be taught, and there is no consistency on women. Okay, I don't feel so bad. I'm Kelsey Eckert. I'm a high school history teacher. And I'm Brooke Sullivan, a girl who missed out on a lot of important ladies in school. And together we're creating tools to get women's history in the K-12 classroom. Our podcast, Remedial History, comes out every Monday. Kelsey teaches me a lesson that should be a staple in every curriculum. We're talking themes and important women. And Kelsey tells me the main reasons why these women are skipped over in school. Each week on our website, www.remedialhistory.com, I post an inquiry-based lesson plan for teachers based on our episode. And we found every other lesson plan of worth that's out there and linked them for you. Check it out. You can find Remedial History anywhere you get your podcasts. Well, here we are at part two. Part two. I can't wait to hear this story. (laughs) Um, So this is a story that we've been meaning to tell for a very long time. And I am specifically (laughs) so excited about it. (laughs) Um, So 
Uh, do you want to know what you're drinking? I do. It looks delicious. So this drink is called the Heckler Lady. Okay. <laughs> and I want to be very clear that this is a take on the sweet martini. Okay. So I know that we both are very anti-martini. Well, <laughs> but I'm, I yeah. listen, I, it's got the gin. It has vermouth, but it has okay. sweet vermouth instead. Okay. And then I added simple syrup. And then I dumped a little bit of maraschino cherry juice in it. Okay. It's just that martinis scare me because I've never had one that I've liked. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah. I want, I think I want to be the person that's sitting at the bar drinking a fucking martini with two olives. I think we're going to ease ourselves into it. And yeah. I think this is a good step on that roller coaster ride. I agree. Um, I also think we just need better gin, too. Yeah. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Okay, what do you think? Honest truth mm. time. No, I like it a lot. Okay. I like it a lot. I added a lot of sugar things. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, sweet vermouth, sweet To make this, it palatable that. to our <laughs> swine mouths. We just don't want to drink Christmas tree, which is what gin tastes like, Christmas tree. Which I love, but like, that's the thing. That's why you have to have a really good quality gin. Because mm-hmm. like, let me tell you, someone for a housewarming gave us um, something called whale gin. And it is in this beautiful blue bottle, like a milky blue (laughs) bottle. And uh, you know I love a gin and tonic. Oh, yeah. And I made a gin and tonic with it a couple weeks ago for myself. And uh, I was like, damn, this tastes very good. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I normally love that cocktail, but it was elevated by the gin, which I think I need to, I just need to get better gin for my tonic yeah it's for my time. for my martinis it's time for better gin maybe it's i'll buy time. you some maybe it'll be a thing <laughs> okay so tell me what you know about virginia hall she has been requested a hundred times over by <laughs> listeners okay so i know that like a while ago my parents gave us a news article um which sits in our studio now called the baltimore spy who beat the nazis yes um so that's all i know about her is that she was a spy she's from baltimore which means she's a good person um Mm -hmm. and she hates nazis which also means she's a good person she's got like two stars for her (laughs) none against her yet (laughs) yet we don't know so Okay, we've heard this from Emily Hill, from Chopper Girl 20, from several other people. And if we forget your names or don't list you at some point when you requested a person, we swear to God, we're drunk and we're so sorry. We love you so much. Yeah. And also, we are terrible at the emails. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to speak for Allie but I ignore them at all costs because it's too much for me. Yeah, I think pretty much all of social media (laughs) overwhelms you. It does. I spend about 50% of my day answering emails. I I look at it and I'm like, I'm going to say the wrong thing. Look, it's producer. Look how cute he is. What's he doing down there? Oh, down there. Why is he out there? Oh, he's trying to show his face for those I new people. Exactly. <laughs> he's asserting his dominance on the land. He's peacocking. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Wow. All right. <laughs> so, okay. So we're very sorry if we forget you, but also I did list that Katie's mom and dad are part of this request <laughs> because it, they really were like, hey guys, we don't listen to your show because we're super religious and you cuss a lot and are super left wing. But like, also here's a cool moment. <laughs> also, they also don't know how to use computers. So yeah, that's yeah, another yeah. big part of it. <laughs> They're like, what is a podcast? 
podcast. <laughs> um, okay. So as far as sources, there's a wonderful book that you can get if you go on audibletrials.com slash Hershberry. Mm. Uh, and it's called A Woman of No Importance by Sonia Purnell. And there's also a drunk history episode about her. And my favorite YouTube video about her is Biographics, that YouTube channel. They with do, the bald guy? Yeah. I love him. He's <laughs> so good. He talks so fast. He never messes up. He's got a great accent. And they're only like 17 minutes. Yeah. So. I love his act. He does have a great accent. He just has a great way of being like, and this is why you need to know this because this is also important. Yeah. And you're like, ah, oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that is important. <laughs> <laughs> and um, obviously I used Wikipedia, but it gives her, it gives all the information about her with no oomph. Mm, the flavor. Yeah. You just like okay. read it and you're like, and you're like, where's the giant clock in the top hat? Right. I don't understand. Can you please explain to Can me? Can you please just accentuate the positive a little bit? Need to peacock. So. <laughs> I just want to peacock her story a little bit. <laughs> Which Charles Vincent, go ahead and do it. You know how to <laughs> use. You know what's funny? The is interweb. Whenever I think of Charles Vincent, I always think that, like, I always picture the biographics guy. I'm like, I in my head. Huh. I don't know if that's an accurate way that Charles looks. I don't know. <laughs> Charles, let us know. Watch <laughs> you look the- <laughs> like the guy from Biographics. <laughs> he has thick rim glasses and he's British. I don't no. know why. It's just like that name remind. It's just like I can picture the a guy looking like that. Wow, named Charles Vincent. Charles is a artist. I know. That's I know what Charles like art looks like, but yeah. I don't know what Charles looks like. Okay, okay. Everybody, go follow Charles's art. <laughs> And then he he can also figure out Wikipedia for us. Exactly. (laughs) Okay. So Virginia Hall was born in Baltimore, Maryland in April of 1906. Her parents were socialites. Her father was Edwin Lee Hall. He was an entrepreneur who ran banks and a movie theater in the city. And her mother was Barbara Virginia Hall. And she was hired to be his secretary and they fell in love. So cute. Very cute. She had one little brother named John, and the family lived in a mansion in Baltimore. And I know those two words don't go together for most people, (laughs) but I want to let everybody know in the early 1900s, Baltimore was like this huge booming city, and there are these mansion row home style houses specifically across from the zoo that were like Mm -hmm. only for rich people. They're like millions of square feet, and they Mm. are gorgeous now they're all broken up into apartments but there are many many mansions in baltimore city oh yeah and when you get into like the bolton hill territory like it's my favorite thing when we get to do a job because i (laughs) when i get to do a job there because i am just running around the house taking photos it's and invading everyone's privacy (laughs) you should you should do that it's a necessity Um, so she grew up with all the finer things in life. She took lavish vacations and they traveled through Europe and she was a very well-rounded little lady. Her mom, though, had not originally been born into wealth, uh, but loved what her marriage did for her lifestyle and wanted the same Mm -hmm. for her daughter. So she enrolled her in the best education a girl could get in Baltimore City. (gasps) Where do you think? Oh, my gosh. All right. It's a private school. There's a gated community. They have tulips every year. It's near where I the know, skate the park Roland is. Park, <laughs> yeah, whatever the hell it is. Roland Park Country School. <laughs> uh, 
also a beautiful area yes, with lovely tulips. It really, really is. <laughs> Sherwood Gardens. Shout out to oh, Sherwood Gardens. What um, a hidden gem. <laughs> it's so hidden that I literally, like, I used to I have to li- Google Maps to it to find it. around there. I, would, I could walk there and I couldn't, like, find sometimes it. I literally can't find it. Well, because it's in a bubble. It doesn't let oh, yeah. the poor folk in. And it's <laughs> hidden among the mansions. <laughs> <laughs> and she's going to Roland Park. And I, this, this beginning part of the story is going to be riddled with background details in Baltimore because I really want people to understand. So in Baltimore, and all of our Baltimore listeners, you can attest to this. If you go to a specific private school, you have a specific uniform. Mm-hmm. And then you wear that uniform <laughs> in public so that people know where you go. That's exactly right. Because when you ask someone from Maryland where they went to school, they do not say their college. No, you mean high school. You mean high school (laughs) because there's such a big private school community. So going to Roland Park Country School is a very big deal. Yep. Absolutely. It's also so funny because um, so there is a Roland Park Baseball League (laughs) that had an event every year at the restaurant I used to work at. But it's so funny because their bumper stickers say RPBL, which just looks like Republican. (laughs) (laughs) Which they all are. So Anglo-Saxon of you. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, But yeah, it's yeah, it's a beautiful area. And yeah, it's just. It is one of those things like your private school uniform is like such an identity. When it's you're what younger. you wore to the mall. Oh, like in yeah. high school. You didn't change your clothes. You went in your private school uniform because oh, yeah. that was like your letter jacket. Absolutely. It's so important in Maryland. I know that's stupid. <laughs> it sounds stupid to everybody else, but it is like um, a caliber. It like shows who you are. No, absolutely. If you got those saddle shoes, you are a... And Notre Dame girl, girl for NDP sure. Girl. <laughs> yeah, that green is those Catholic high girls. So. <laughs> okay, so I did bring that up for a reason. So she was not at all a dainty young lady like her parents wanted her to be. She always played the male roles in all of her school plays. Like Julia Child. (laughs) Because she wanted to perform the sword fight scenes and be the hero. She was like, this is just such a better scene to play. Allie, it's me. (laughs) I was literally looking at my old high school yearbooks trying to find... Pictures of me playing basketball in my sambas for shell swoops, <laughs> just swooping it up. Um, <laughs> but instead, I came across photos of me as Inigo Montoya with my mustache in the high school play Princess and the Bride. Princess the Bride. The Princess Bride. <laughs> <laughs> you killed my father. I was like, should I post Prepare these? Prepare to die. Post them immediately. If you want us to post pictures of me with a mustache, um, we will. <laughs> Also, I do plan on wearing a mustache as Halloween. Perfect. Did I tell you our costume idea? I think you did. Yes. Case and I are going to be a couple of newly Freds. Uh-huh. And we're going to be different <laughs> versions Mercury. of Freddie Mercury. <laughs> We've, we're newly off, the, Freds. off the rails. <laughs> newly Freds. Don't take my idea. But if you do, credit me because I love you. <laughs> you can do it if you're in a different state and not in this party. Um, okay. But also, come to the party, everybody. Yeah, you're welcome. Especially <laughs> whenever COVID's over. Yeah, whenever COVID's over, come to my party. Um, I'm vaccinated, so you're fine. She always played the male. She wanted to be the hero. Outside of school, she chose not to wear her uniform. She wore trousers and plaid checkered shirts. 
Uh, okay, Diane Keaton. <laughs> excuse <What>? me. Excuse <laughs> me. <laughs> so she would go into the woods and hunt for small animals <gasps> and then get this, Katie. She, she wore a live snake bracelet to Ew, school. No. <laughs> okay, that's unacceptable. <laughs> to Wait, roll apart country school. Hold on. What do you mean live snake? Like it was a live snake that she let wrap itself oh. around her arm. Okay, no. And wore it to school. No. Not uniform appropriate? No. So her, her classmates, to their credit, instead of shunning her differences were so full of respect for her quirky behavior they were like you make me smile you're really (laughs) self-assured you're brave you're tough I love it (laughs) and they voted her in as the editor of the school newspaper and as class president Because she was bogus and loved it. I love that. At this prep school, she was studying world languages, and she told everyone who would listen that she dreamed of becoming a diplomat. She said she could travel the world and have adventures. Her mom, not happy about this at all, wanted her to be a part of Baltimore High Society. Her dad acknowledged the ambition and paid for language tutoring. (laughs) That's so cool. (laughs) very cool. So she ends up um, going to some of the most prestigious women's colleges in the country. At that time, it was Radcliffe College, which is like the female Harvard at the time, and Bernard College, which was like Columbia University. She studied French, Italian, and German. Then she attended George Washington University, where she studied French and economics. As she was working on her degree, her mom is setting her up with a young man with a trust fund and an Mm. Ivy League education, which, I mean, the odds are stacked against him, but most likely he's going to be a bad person. Yeah. (laughs) And he is. Damn. The two are engaged quickly. As, you know, the goal of this relationship was to connect their family businesses. So Virginia is 19. She is not in love. And this man is constantly cheating on her. So she calls the engagement off. And what is his name again? I don't know. I didn't write it because I don't give a shit. Oh, thank God. I was going to go after his family. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking descendants. I was going to get them. Because they're still here in Maryland. <laughs> I bet they are. We can hunt their bet house down. Roland Park Baseball League. <laughs> <laughs> Republican. <laughs> oh, my God. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> We're the worst. Uh, so instead of marrying this young lad, she decided to pursue her dream of adventuring around the world. So she stops educating herself in America and goes to France and also studies in Germany and Austria. She becomes fluent in French. And on the side, she learns Spanish, Russian, German, and Italian. What the hell? Just for fun. Just for fun, Katie. (laughs) She was just having a little fun. She was playing around. Outrageous. Okay. (laughs) But she could never quite shake her Balmer accent, (laughs) which kind of comes back to bite her a little bit. It's fine. It's fine. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) What are the consequences, hon? (laughs) Well played. Well played, Catherine. After her education, she decides to enjoy high society in Paris during the 1920s. Talk about skipping prohibition. There we go. And then she moves to Vienna, Austria, where she met a young man named Emil, and he was a Polish army officer. They wanted to get married, but her trip was completely funded by her dad, so she wrote to him out of respect to get permission. And he's like... No, like, Europe is a phase. You're going to come home to Baltimore and, like, be a part of this business. Like, I paid for your fun. 
Language Everybody thing. comes back to Baltimore. <laughs> Even Wallace Simpson. <laughs> um, so she broke things off with Emil. She really did love uh-huh. her dad and her family. And she's like, okay, fine. Um, and then she comes back to the U.S. in 1929 to witness, drumroll, the Great Depression. No. <laughs> uh, her family finances are hit very hard. They lost almost everything. And as many men of that time period, her father dies of a sudden heart attack because of the stress of just <gasps> all of the business falling apart everything he's built in his life he's lost all of his money and you know now because of this her mom like has no snobbery left so yeah. like virginia can do whatever she wants <laughs> which is great <laughs> so virginia decided to leave the u.s and apply for a job at the american embassy as a diplomat in of course Warsaw, Poland, which most people assume she's going back to try to find a meal. Unfortunately, she never does. And most historians believe that he probably died when the Germans invaded Poland because he was a Polish army officer. Mm -hmm. So but we just don't know that trail ends there. Okay, but she is working at the Warsaw, Poland embassy, making two thousand dollars a year, which is thirty thousand dollars in today's money. And um She's decoding messages and filing paperwork. This is not the adventure that she had hoped for. So she takes the diplomat exam. She's like, you know what? I'm going to actually do it. Now, there's a lot of stories about this. Some people say she took the diplomat exam. She got 100%. She's fucking smart as shit. She went to girl Harvard and knows every language in the book. (laughs) Girl Harvard. (laughs) then, (laughs) Then they just lost her thing. Some people say she passed and they ignored it. And some people say there's three sections. She failed a couple sections, um, but passed the other sections with flying colors. So there's no real 100% reason that she didn't pass. But with the language and the Ivy League education she had, she should have been a shoe-in. And if she was a male, she would have been. Right. Every time there was a job opening, she tried to apply for it, and they just kind of ignored it. She knew the odds were stacked against her, and she thought, okay, so maybe the problem is the American embassy in Poland. So I'm just going to, like, move to a different American embassy and see if that, like, resolves the issue. Smart, right? Mm -hmm. So she transfers to the American embassy in Turkey, and she goes, you know what else I'm going to do? I'm going to make friends with everybody who works here because, you know, it's all about who you know. Right. So she's having a bang old good time. (laughs) And she's like, everybody loves me. Everybody loves me. Hey, guys, why don't we go on a hunting trip? I'm like so good at hunting. So they go on a hunting trip and she's trying to climb over this fence and her shotgun goes off and blows her foot off. Allie, stop. Blows her foot off. You know, it's so funny is I completely forgot that she had a prosthetic leg. Yeah, it's coming. Okay. Blows her foot off. That's really upsetting. It really is. <laughs> and like even more upsetting is like it was around mud. I think they were shooting like birds and it was like a marshy area. Uh, I was going to say, I'm guessing there's a fucking infection involved. <sighs> yeah. So she falls and kind of sinks into this mud mm. and gangrene begins to set in. Her friends put a tourniquet on her and they kind of carry her out of the woods and get her in the car and get her to a hospital. Uh, She's in the hospital for three weeks, but the infection could not be stopped. So they're forced to amputate her leg from the knee down and fit her with a prosthetic that she named Cuthbert. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That's awesome because like I honestly like obviously like 
I made an uh, sound because yeah. of infection. But yeah. like obviously, like a lot of people live with like amputations and things like that, and like yeah. prosthetics like need to fucking happen. And like I love that she is like, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm cool with it. I'm gonna name it. Like <laughs> he's my he's my Cuthbert. My Cuthbert. Uh huh. She refers to him too. Like in the future, <laughs> she talks about her leg, Cuthbert. Um, prosthetics that were really rudimentary at the time. Like, yeah. We right now are in like groundbreaking Star Wars shit, where people's brains can like be connected to oh, the I know. fingers. It scares it's me like incredible. It's, it's incredible and horrifying, but it's incredible. <laughs> but this, I'm like, how does it work? <laughs> Your brain. <laughs> they connected to your brain. But this is like connected to these leather straps that go all the way up your leg and around your waist and they buckle and they chafe and there's rubbing. It's just so uncomfortable. So at 27 years old, she would be differently abled for the rest of her life. And she began a journey of learning to walk again Ooh. with a prosthetic leg. She was determined to continue to become a diplomat. And she applied to work in Venice, Italy. And again, she passed with flying colors. But once they saw her leg, she was rejected. (gasps) Virginia is so upset. She wrote a letter to the Secretary of State, Cordell Hall. FDR gets involved at this point. And Cordell Hall, like, writes back, you'll be a fine career girl. Meaning, just be a desk clerk for the embassy. Stop, you're a secretary. She was officially banned by the secretary of state to ever apply for a higher (laughs) position again that's terrible i know how i just love that she was so relentless that they literally had to ban her they're like like, you can't apply anymore we're done oh my gosh well-behaved women don't get banned from places (laughs) no they don't and they cited this strange rule that said, we ban diplomats with disabilities, meaning amputee, um, even though there were male diplomats that were amputees and the president was in a fucking wheelchair. Oh <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Like, what? <laughs> I'm so confused at that. So for the next few years, she keeps her head down. She does her clerical work. Her dreams have been crushed, but she's determined to figure out a way out of this. So. Then World War II breaks out. <laughs> oh, my God. And she's like, oh, my God, I want to help in any way that I can. So at 33 years old, she leaves her job to completely start over from scratch. Absolutely nothing. And she goes to France to become an ambulance driver with a prosthetic product leg. I mean, it's like she's driving and just like kicking ass. One year later, the Nazis, she's been working there, driving an ambulance. Uh-huh. Then the Nazis invade France and uh-huh. occupy France. And uh-huh. she has to escape through what is known as the Freedom Trail, which is mm-hmm. over the Pyrenees Mountains between France and Spain. It's 44 miles with elevations of 6,000 feet. It takes an able-bodied person three to four days. And there are narrow ridges where you could easily lose your balance and fall to your death oh my gosh like who is the other person working on this nancy wake was like also like (laughs) yeah nancy wake was there she's doing the same thing um during the war 2000 experienced guides were captured and executed on this trail and thousands of civilians were taken as prisoners despite her prosthetic leg she made it through the extreme terrain of the mountains she goes through Spain and gets to England. She goes to the American embassy in England and they're like, pill on you. <gasps> so she met this British officer named George Bellows. He's impressed with her and gave her the phone number to find employment in England. 
On Drunk History, they brought up Vera Atkins, who is like another badass woman uh-huh. that we should cover. But apparently Vera Atkins helped connect her okay. with people. Um, the friend she got in connection with was part of the SOE, the Special Operations in, what's it called? Britain. Europe? Oh, okay. Britain. <laughs> She's there. Special Operations Executives, but they're oh, in Britain. Okay. okay. Um, but that's also like the nickname is the Ministry of Ungentlemanly Warfare. <laughs> is what it's really called by the British people. Um, and they're trying to recruit people. The resistance in France at this time is on its last leg. They need to bring it back to life. Plus, they need someone who can cross borders. She's American. America's not in the war. There we go. So she can cross borders without getting in trouble because it's a neutral country. And they need someone who can speak French. They looked for six months for a person that had these qualifications. And there was a one. And Virginia was like, y'all fucking do it. (laughs) Everybody who was qualified was like, I don't want to do that. That's a death sentence. And she was like, (sighs) yeah, I'm in. So they train her in everything except parachuting because one, she has a prosthetic leg and that's really hard at the time. And two, (laughs) she's American. So she can just like cross borders. So they tell her, listen, this is important. When you're from Maryland, the number one thing to not be recognized is you got to stop wearing the fucking flag on every article of clothing. (laughs) Did you think no, I was going to say something serious? I did. I did. I did. Um, <laughs> it is just like so outrageous because like Baltimore is like, I mean, Maryland is known as like having like one of the people say it's one of the ugliest flags in the U.S. Um, we put it and on we everything. put it on everything. It's like, it's like <laughs> Buffalo hot sauce. We put that shit on everything. Frank's hot. Uh, yeah, we put the flag on everything. Like, oh man. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. <laughs> I I would just love if she had like her prosthetic leg, but it's just, just the Maryland flag all over it. I <laughs> screen printed. <laughs> I know the technology didn't exist then, but I should like to imagine it did. It should have. <laughs> okay. Um, so she became one of the first female operatives sent by the S. SOE and the first to be sent for a long period of time. There were 41 female SOE agents in all during World War II and 26 survived the war. Oh my God. They gave her the code name Heckler. <gasps> Virginia, uh, her cover is that she's an American reporter for the New York Post and they give her a false false ID and this gives her the license to interview people because she's talking in the news. She can talk to people from both sides. Right. Um, and she is sending back stories and actually publishing things for the new york post she's like full into her role like pretending she's based in leon and she is going around talking to people and is a pioneer of world war ii spies she makes herself available she arranges contacts she recommends who to bribe who to hide, how to soothe the agents that are like going crazy, how to distribute wired codes. More than 2 million people in France were able to get valuable information through her resistance newspapers because Nazi is occupying, but the majority of the people did not want that. So like France is looking for resistance fighters. Right. So whenever spies made it to France, they would have to report to the mysterious agent Heckler. Just her. <laughs> She's in charge. She teams up with this guy named Jean Rousset. He's a doctor and we'll get to him in a minute. Okay. 
because when she first gets there, she's like, okay, here's what I need to do. One, I'm going to go find a whole bunch of nuns because nuns are fucking safe. They're trustworthy and they're women. So no one else is going to think to use them. Wow. So I'm going to go find the nuns. And what they're going to do is set up safe houses in the basements of all these churches so that I can hide people. So smart. And then two, I'm going to go to the other end of the spectrum and find all the brothel owners. (gasps) So I'm going to find all these women and they're going to make safe houses. And then not only that, but she becomes friends with Jermaine, who is a very famous brothel owner because of Victor- Virginia Hall. And um, how they do it is the German officers visit brothels. The women listen. They transport the information to her. And then she has, and this is going to connect with your story, the brothel um, sex workers purposely transmit STDs (gasps) to the German officers. Oh my God. Purposefully. This is a, it's a thing that's happening. (laughs) I, on purpose. Oh my God. I, I just also what a perfect description of Baltimore itself of like, we are this like Catholic nuns. We are sex workers, nuns and sex workers. That's That's all that's here. Oh my God. Come see us. Well, but (laughs) but the whole thing is that like, I, and again, I'm making way too much of this, but I feel like she can respect both because it's like, yeah, because like that's who fucking lives here is like real, is like real people who like do both and are everyone in between like, or whatever, you know, it's like, I fucking love that. It's a very quirky existence. But she, I think one of the coolest things is she didn't discount women. Oh, She was yeah. like, I'm going to find the nuns and Absolutely. I'm going to find the sex workers. And then they're all going to help me because nobody else is asking them to help. And if anyone can help, <laughs> it is sex workers because they know fucking everything. everything. It's like that. <laughs> Casey and I have been watching, um, rewatching Arrested Development. And I love the scene where it's like. Like the woman they keep hiring for sex work, like Nellie, but they <laughs> all they do is like cry and talk to her and like confess like the business crimes. <laughs> also, like, I've never slept with any of the Bluth men, actually. Like, <laughs> also, side note, um, the cousin, the young cousin girl, maybe, yeah, from she plays, um, Virginia Hall in the <gasps> Drunk History no episode. Way! Yes, she oh does. My God. <laughs> so good connection, Kate. <laughs> oh my gosh, I, I it's so funny because I'm love Drunk History and I've never seen the Virginia Hall episode. Well, you know what? So I started doing research on this, and I was like, "Have we done her?" Because we're at the point where we've done 220 some odd women, and you've done Nancy Wake, and you did Hedy Lamar, and I was like, I think we've done her and then I was like oh it's just a drunk history I saw yep <laughs> and producer started making fun of me he was like you're forgetting the women you covered at this point I was like listen it's like I've slept around a lot I, absolutely I know all these girls intimately yeah um, so Virginia became skilled at helping British airmen that had been shot down and crashed over Europe. She would bring them to a safe house, one of these churches or brothels, and they would be given medicine. And then they would be led to the Freedom Trail over the Pyrenees so they could get to Spain, which was neutral. And then from Spain, get to England. And her strategy is like, 
if I doubt everyone, I'll survive. Like, okay. trust no one. So her lengthy... T- so she was a Scorpio. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> she hates all people. Her lengthy time in France with... She's from Baltimore. But without capture, illustrates how great she was. So... There's a lot of dangers coming in and the French police are raiding places and Virginia's at large and the Germans hate it. And she's introduced to all these contacts and sometimes she would lose them. But she's building up the French resistance from nothing to being the most powerful resistance of World War II. They were on their last like dying threads and she's just like, I'm here, I'm in charge. This shit's going down. A lot of spies get caught though because they like talking about the cool shit that they do and she has no interest in showing off (laughs) none at all does not care if people know who she is what she looks like what she's doing so there's a letter where so this is a, a little tidbit about her leg there's a letter at one point about Cuthbert and an agent that's like, you never introduced me to anyone, but you're always talking about Cuthbert in these letters. <laughs> introduce me to Cuthbert. And she's like, it's my fucking leg. You idiot. And then oh, at, my God. At one point, she wrote back to the actual SOE and was like, this is during one of her random escapes over the Pyrenees Mountains. And she was like, I'm doing okay, but Cuthbert's giving me a little bit of trouble. And they're like, if Cuthbert is troublesome, eliminate him. It's <laughs> <laughs> so like, would you prefer bonfire or a wood chipper? I don't um, how would you prefer to me to eliminate Cuthbert? <laughs> it's just so funny. Oh, that my God. She was just so, like, quirky and, like, ahead and had a name for her leg and people didn't know. <laughs> it's really cute, I think. Mm. I love that she's like, I'm literally a spy and anything could be misconstrued and taken as like serious detrimental military strategy. But I will not give up this nickname for my fake leg. Eliminate him. (laughs) Eliminate that leg. (sighs) So she also became really skilled at jailbreaks. And there's one way that she did this was was like super obvious. And then one way that she did it most regularly. So Jean Rousset, which I mentioned earlier, was a doctor and he was a doctor Um, that worked with people at asylums. So what she would do is have POWs pretend to be insane and then he would transfer them and help them get to freedom. But there's this other time when there's 12 people arrested in France and she like gets in cahoots with one of their wives and is like just start visiting every day with like bread and then slowly start putting tools in the bread (sighs) and then give the tools to the men and then these guys all break out and like are hiding in the woods for like a month and then she saves them. That's like the plot of the Grand Budapest Hotel. (laughs) She's like saving everyone. And somebody said that of the war's most useful operations, her breaking these guys out is like so important because they all go on to be great generals and like officers in the war. They needed these guys and they're just sitting in prison. Mm. So Virginia every time would help to guide these men on this multi-day journey to Spain across mountains on her prosthetic leg. (laughs) And it's great. So she was far from the only spy, obviously. She was just one of the most successful. And the SOE sent 
400 spies into Nazi-occupied France. 100 were captured and killed. To the Nazis, she was seen as like a hopeless American journalist with a prosthetic leg. They were like, <laughs> oh, she's so cute. We'll answer her questions. Oh Which is like, they're idiots. Um, but who wouldn't fall for that? You know what I mean? Like, oh, nobody's yeah. going to think she's a French spy. She's clearly American. Oh, yeah. Um, so the Germans are furious about all these escapes from prison. They're mad at the French police. They're like, you're letting these people out. So this Gestapo floods France with 500 agents and tries to destroy the French resistance. They focus on Lyon because they know that's where. Right. Heckler is um, under German pressure. The police are like no longer reliable because they're like gonna sell her out. So the news starts to spread through the Nazis that there's a mysterious limping woman. At first glance, her limp should make her an unlikely candidate to be a spy. But after this news breaks, the limp actually makes her stand out and people start saying the limping lady is helping the Allied forces. <sighs> Klaus Barbie, known as the Butcher of Lyon, was the leader of the Nazi troops in France, and he heard the news of the heckler and her jailbreaks. And no one knew who the heckler was or where she was from. They knew she was a woman, but Barbie just couldn't believe that an American would know French so well. So he said he would give anything to get his hands on that limping Canadian bitch. Canadian? What? <laughs> because Americans are too dumb to learn French. Oh my god! <laughs> so they all assumed she was Canadian. So That's she's so still funny. flying undercover because we're dummies. Oh my god! I love that. I love it. If she just like attacked them with crabs. <laughs> Here's my blue crab. Ah! <laughs> she just like drops. She's in this bitch. <laughs> <laughs> she just dropped Old Bay in their eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That was like her defense. <laughs> She's like Spider-Man. She's lowering when she them. does the yeah. thing. It's like, <laughs> and it's just like a cloud of old Lowering day. them with burger cookies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly she, it. She hid the sleeping pills in the <laughs> four inch layer of chocolate. <laughs> it's only 7,000 calories a bite. <laughs> this is only fun for us. <laughs> I like the five other people from Baltimore. <laughs> Okay, so <laughs> she, he, Barbie, had his men hang two million posters of Virginia <laughs> Hall all over the area, and it reads, the limping lady, the most dangerous of all allied spies, we must find her and destroy her. This is the Nazis in France. They're, like, going after this woman, and he put a bounty on her head and offered money to anyone that could forward information about her whereabouts. The limping lady signs were really embarrassing, though, for Virginia because she didn't think she had a limp. And it just oh. bugs her. So it's why I called the cocktail the heckler lady, because the heckler is her spy name. And that's who she should have been known as she should not be known as the limping lady because you don't point out somebody's deficit to like. I don't know. It just made me really uncomfortable that it was like something she hated about herself and it was just published everywhere. Oh, yeah. It would. It, it was literally like the time where I was working and like a child looked at me and was like, M like, what is wrong with your face? Because like I have horrible acne and like and of course the mom was like. He asked you a question, which absolutely appalled me for one. Um, but, you know, it's like the thing that like 
you're hoping that like it's just you who notices and, and then people notice and, and then you get confirmation that the rest of the world notices and you are absolutely devastated it's like you're like oh i thought i was like pulling it off yeah. like i was like oh i you know i know i know i have acne but like maybe other people won't know while i'm going through the world <laughs> and yeah. then uh and then your world is shattered. And then there's two million pictures of you. <laughs> says the limping lady above your face. And it's terrible. And your acne is getting so much better, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> um, eventually, someone was tempted enough to turn in her secrets. No. Um, there's no time to tell this whole story because there's a lot more to go. But <clears throat> he was a priest, I think, and oh. presented himself as being in her cohorts. And he, they're like transmitting letters back and forth. But she doesn't totally trust him so she doesn't give him all the information because okay. she doesn't give anybody all the information and he caves to the pressure and turns her in for money and the next day like her headquarters is ambushed but she's not there because she was two steps ahead all the time <clears throat> so she had sent a letter to london my safe house has been compromised. I know it's compromised. And they order her to run. They're like, get out of there as fucking fast as you can. Abandon your mission. And she's like, no, there's these two guys. And they are in prison. It's Alex and Fabian. And one of the really interesting things about Virginia that most people don't recognize is that she had a big soft spot for young men and women living in Lyon. She felt that the kids were dealing with so much and they should not have to put up with this bullshit. She had pet names for them. They all loved her. They like... Were, she was like an auntie. She called some of them her nephews. Like, and she's like, I want to get these boys out of prison. Um, but just as she was preparing to free them before she took off, there's an influx of Nazi soldiers arriving because they had just defeated these territories in North Africa. So now they're coming up to France. So there's thousands of fresh eyes looking at these wanted posters for the first time. Once she saw the soldiers, she knew she had to leave. So she gets out. Her headquarters gets totally, like, taken over. Oh, my God. And she has literally just a 24-hour head start on the Freedom Trail <gasps> with a prosthetic leg. And they're oh coming for her. Oh, my God. They're coming they for her. like, cars and stuff. And she's fucking walking. Yeah. She's got nothing. <gasps> oh, um, my God. Okay. So she gets close to over the boredom to border to freedom. Um, but she gets arrested by the Spanish police <sighs> for illegally crossing the border, oh. which like they have to do because if they just let everybody cross, then they're no longer neutral and the Germans right. are going to invade Spain. Okay, okay, okay. So they're like, we're going to arrest you and throw you in prison. But like, also we're not going to like send you back to the Nazis. Right. Like, we're right, just right, going to put right, you right. in prison. So we don't, so she's still safe. She's safe. Okay. She's safe. She's in prison in France. Okay. Nobody knows how long or there hasn't been papers. I can't say nobody knows. I'm sure someone knows. But we don't know. I don't know how long she was in Spanish prison. But she did have to contact the American embassy. They arrange her release. Then she contacts the SOE in England to assure them that she's safe and alive. She wants to go back. And the SOE is like, no, you psycho. They know what you look like. They know the name Heckler. Heckler's done. You're done being a spy in France. You can't do this. So she contacts America again and asks if they're looking for spies. And now they've joined the war. So they're like, well, maybe. 
maybe you were looking for some spies for the OSS, the Office of Strategic Service. Where because, Julia Child was working. Yes. But because at this point, they had joined the war. Yeah. And what emergency does to men is open their minds. Yeah. But don't worry, it closes again. Damn. They close okay. again. Okay. <laughs> but they do allow her to be part of the OSS. And she's hired as a low at a low rank with pay as a second lieutenant. And they return her to France. Um, but her leg would prevent her from parachuting. So she always had to walk in. British records never bring up her leg, except that they're like, oh, my God, it's pretty cool that she made it over these mountains <laughs> all by herself. <laughs> um, but she was given a forged French ID card and a new name and her code, a new French name. And then her code name was Diane. But the point of like the American. I know. <laughs> She's an Amazon woman. <laughs> the point of the American resistance was to arm and train people for the Allied invasion of Normandy. Okay. She's there to collect intelligence and will let the Allied troops know what's going to happen and try to prevent any German troops or weapons from getting to this final battle so they teach her morse code they teach her to send her own radio messages so that she can work by herself and they disguise virginia as an older woman with gray hair she even files her teeth down so she will look like an old french no. peasant woman she files her teeth down katie files them down. i don't like that at all she's misdoubt firing herself who there was like somebody else who like famously did that I don't know who it was, but like the witch in Snow this White is. Oh my god! It's also reminding me of um, that episode of Thirty Rock where Liz starts dressing like an old woman so she can sit on the subway. <laughs> this is what she does because it disguises her limp because she can oh, shuffle and look she can old. Shuffle. So this disguise is working really, really well. She gets sent into France with this other guy. They're the fourth and fifth OSS officers to ever be sent to France. She has 500,000 francs and quickly separates herself from this guy because he's talkative and a risk. And she's aware that her American accent is going to give her away because she can't shake that hun. And <laughs> she found a uh, younger French woman who's willing to walk around with her and kind of speak for her because she was very good at connections. And she would wander around France as an old milkmaid and just like when she was a news reporter she actually worked on a farm and made milk and cheese to sell to these German men like she was actually living her cover I love that she was very good at it but the thing is she would deliver this cheese and milk and they had no idea that this old peasant French woman could speak German so they spoke freely around her about where they were going and what they were doing and then she would send the information back to the allied troops and pretty much her goal is to organize drop zones for weapons and supplies and establish safe houses and make new contacts and she is organizing the whole resistance group that's sitting there and she is starting a new trend in spying which is you're not just a spy but you are in charge of guerrilla warfare. This is the first time a spy has done this. Okay. She's bombing bridges. She literally hijacked a German train, fills up the, the fire thing with coal, sends it over a bridge to explode and jumps out at the last minute. <gasps> it explodes the German bridge and then they can't get any supplies to Normandy for like this battle. 
She's going around putting sugar in gas tanks so they can't move their vehicles. She's cutting oil supply lines so that the German encampments can't move anything. She's sabotaging by herself, dressed up like an old woman with filed teeth, as much gear as possible. She's like running this group of men that are also doing this. And... At one point, she's ordered to quit her disguise and go back to headquarters. But as a woman and a second lieutenant rank, she has problems asserting her authority. So she's like, look, I'm going to get you all the arms you need and I will get you money if you fucking listen to my advice. And like, fine. So they give her three battalions and then she starts organizing and they just sabotage German operations everywhere and clear a path so that the allied troops can come in and the Americans celebrate their victory over the Nazis on D-Day and no one knew that she was behind the scene preparing the way so that the army could have victory the Germans could not get their shit to the beaches of Normandy because she had blocked fucking everything so this amazing like feat of manlyhoodness, whatever that we always, I mean, people talk about the beaches of Normandy constantly, and on, honestly, and like cheers, it's great, and cheers like, to cheers the private. I am not saying like it's been over. The, you know, every movie you've ever seen with those boats. Oh my god, I can't even imagine and men filing out. Like my god, you are heroes, absolutely. But every one weapon that she prevented from getting there created a path to victory absolutely and that's what i'm saying it's like we only celebrate them yeah and like we absolutely should celebrate them but like we forget the people that made that happen like virginia which is insane i did not know that okay it's virginia and this like crew of non-military men it's like french non-trained men like doing all the sabotaging So, like I said, she was the first woman to combine spying and guerrilla warfare, and this becomes the new trend for spying into the future. After 9-11 and in the years following in Afghanistan, the CIA said that they followed the model that Virginia Hall um, did in the resistance in France. And I keep thinking I say Victoria at some points, but her name's Virginia. <laughs> I think I've I going. think I've always heard Virginia. So okay, I hope maybe so. maybe it's just in my head. Okay, so post war, she visits Leon, and there it, she goes with this guy Paul, who she had met earlier in the war, and they had been kind of living together off and on. He's mm. a spy, she's a spy. They're like together sometimes, but not right. all the time. But she visits to try and find out what happened to the men and women that she spent years with. A lot of them had been captured and sent to concentration camps. Some of them survived. Many of them did not. She arranged for a certain number of pounds to be given to the brothel owner that she had become close with. But the sex workers didn't get much. And the people transporting stuff got nothing, obviously. But she did write letters to the governments telling people of what everybody did to help her. She made sure that everybody who helped her was named. And she was like, this person was good. And this person was good. Um, And the German guy who sold her out and betrayed her, was executed in Paris. So oh, there, there we go. go. Okay. That's nice. <laughs> During her work, um, like I said, she had met Paul. They married in 1957, and she was 44 years old. He was eight years younger than her and six inches shorter, but they were, like, <laughs> so in tune with each other. Is she Julia Child? It's, she, like, the same, like, literally, she, like, 
taller, yeah. married a guy named Paul. That's insane. <laughs> it is. It's very close. <laughs> Virginia was one of the only women to receive the Distinguished Cross of the United States of the American for service in the war, but asked to privately have a ceremony because she wanted to keep her face from public because she wanted to continue working as a spy. Oh, my God. So she was like, hi, America. Like, I really want to be a diplomat. Remember how I keep applying to be a diplomat? And they go, no, but... There's this thing that we're creating right now called the Central Intelligence Agency. Oh, my God. We really think that you would be a great fit for the CIA. How do you feel about that? And in doing that, she became one of the first women ever hired and the first career woman staffer of the CIA. That's so cool. Her job became to gather information on the Soviet Union, and her and her husband lived in Italy and kept tabs on their communist leanings. <laughs> and she and her husband worked together to, like, spread the non-communism around Europe. <laughs> like, that was what they did at 60 years old. It, at that point in the CIA was mandatory retirement, so she retired. She and her husband returned to Maryland, where she lived until her death in 1982 at 76. Her husband survived her by five years, and she's buried in Pikesville. Really? <laughs> yeah, we could go visit her grave. She had been given a variety of French, British, and American awards, but again, she never took them publicly because she didn't want anyone to know what she looked like. And she refused to ever take an interview on World War II because she believed it betrayed her position as a spy, and she was forever a spy. There's a lot of reasons she's less well-known than women like Hedy Lamarr and Nancy Wake. One, she's not a traditional beauty which i think she's beautiful but at that point anybody that was differently abled was seen oh, as yeah. not beautiful she also made it difficult for people to know about her so the author of the book a woman of no importance would be like i would be down this trail of information and then it would just be like pa because she was a spy she yeah. cut off and got rid of anything about herself and it's funny though because that author went to Lyon in france and just went around and started saying hey I'm writing a book about Victoria Hall. Can you help me? And everyone had something to say. They were like, we love her. Here's our oral stories. Here's the drop point where I got food when my kids were starving. Here's where my husband got weapons so that he could fight off the people invading our house. Here is where she did X, Y, Z to Save the people of Lyon. And there are kids that just have, I mean, they were kids then, but they just recently died in like 2015 or right. something. And Victoria Hall was like, well, they called her the Madonna of the mountains. Because oh my God. to them, she was the hero saving their community. After her death, many of her CIA documents and World War II missions were declassified. And everybody was like, damn. <laughs> <laughs> So this triggered a new curiosity in her life. Um, the French and British honored her in 2006 on the 100th anniversary of her birth. There's this guy in the CIA who found like boxes covered in dust and read about her and then was like, I'm going to go try to walk this freedom trail to see how hard it is. And then he was like, fuck, I almost <laughs> fell to my death. And I'm like a 30 year old man with two legs. <laughs> he was just like, this is horrible. Um, in 2016, the CIA training facility was named after her and the CIA museum gives five operatives individual sections in the museum. And she is the only woman that has one <gasps> in 2019. She was put in the Maryland women's hall of fame 
And that is Virginia Hall. What an amazing person. How? <laughs> what the fuck is that story? I'm obsessed with her. I'm also obsessed with the fact that she was like, I'll never show. Like, she was literally never in it for the accolades. Like, she was like, I'll never show my face. Did not care. <laughs> Did not care. She actually, I think, looks so much like that girl from SNL. Anna um, Gasteyer. <laughs> so she was like really popular in like the 90s on SNL. You would totally recognize her. Doesn't she look like her? So much. I yes. know. Like to the point where like, are they related? I like, actually <laughs> taught a girl several years back who's a senior this year who looks a lot like her, I think. Yeah, I just feel like, yeah, she just looks so much like her. Yeah, um, she really does. And also it's this person from SNL who like, I know her so much from her sketches, but like I never knew her name. So Anna, holla at you. You look like Virginia Hall. Yeah, great. Which you is such a great compliment. Hall. It is a great compliment because it's just a beautiful, like like I said, a beautiful mix of hard and soft, yes. which I think is so lovely. But a lot of people are very like adverse to that. Yeah. Um. So anyway. Mm. <laughs> okay. Well, now we need to talk about these two women together. In a little segment, we like to go, just the two of us. Let's talk about their childhoods first. Okay. What about being assigned male at birth and feeling feminine and then this, you know, young girl, Virginia Hall, who is feminine but is just so male-leaning? Absolutely. Well, I wrote down very different childhoods because, you know, Virginia Hall is different and she's quirky and people are like, people reacted to it like that's so great and she was class precedent <laughs> whereas like and like and I think a, a lot of that has to do with the fact that like she is like still like you know like a privileged white young female in a quirky city absolutely like, people love fucking weird ass people here and that's just a fact of the matter and then you have Cecilia who is different and not in this appealing way and like people did not understand and for the fact of the matter, like, she didn't understand, you no. know? And she was like, I don't quite get it. But, like, you have two people that are not fitting the social norms of the time and or, like, or even their gender. And just one is seen as, like, yeah, that's awesome. And one is seen as, I don't like it. You need to stop. Yeah, it was weird because it was location-based, it was mm -hmm. gender-based, and it was wealth-based, and it and was race-based. Race yeah. All at the same ah, time. Oh, my gosh. All of and it. And it's just all of the factors that compile to make people's lives so different. Yes. And it's very cool to point out in these two stories. Absolutely. Because the whole point of telling various women's stories is the fact that, like, we cannot ascribe any label to any one of them because they've all had such different experiences and like I think that this is such a good example of that um and the fact that like at the end of the day both of them just said at one point you know like I want to help in any way that I can and I think like because you said that like verbatim like oh yeah <laughs> and I wrote like, it down I to do it <laughs> I said that I said what you said was her job is to defend people. Yeah. And it's it, it is honestly what it is. These yeah. people were putting themselves on the line. Absolutely. Legitimately to defend the people around them because they didn't want people to have to go through what they had gone through. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I don't think Virginia Hall had gone through a lot, but she mm -hmm. did not like seeing suffering. And I yeah. think sometimes that is a really interesting thing about privilege. No, absolutely. And the fact of the matter is, too, both of these women were told that what they were doing and like what, what was a death sentence. 
Mm. You know, like they said, Virginia, if you go in and be a spy, you might die. There's a very high possibility that you will die. And for Cecilia, like they're like, it wasn't even a possibility. It was a fact of like, you have HIV, you will die. And I think Virginia was like, I'm going to take that chance and like still do what I can. Whereas Cecilia, you know, it's a little different because she had that thrust upon her. She got HIV from a situation that she did not choose to be in, which I think is really important to note. And both of them, though, like, even though, like, one chose it, one didn't, they were told, you're probably going to die. They made the best out of it because they are both strong women. You know what I'm saying? And, like, it takes a really strong person to, like, look death in the face and be like, I'm going to do something with this. And I think, like, you know... Virginia Hall, like every single article I read and video I watched kept calling her a woman with a disability, a disabled person, Mm -hmm. disabled this, disabled that. And I just like, I, and obviously I do not have a prosthetic anything, so I can't speak to this, but I never view somebody with a prosthetic as a disability. And it's because we're in a technology era where that is like, Okay, fine. So we can fix that. It's not a big deal. Like we can fix it. But back then you couldn't fix it. And that's the same way that I feel about HIV AIDS. Like in the 90s, it was like, we have no idea what to do with (sighs) you. You're poisonous. You can poison other people. People didn't even want to touch people with AIDS. Yeah. Because they were scared that like they could transmit it through like very innocent actions. Right. And it's like, you know what? There, we have growth from that. We have learned that there are scientific ways to make sure that people who are differently abled and people who contract illnesses that they don't want can be fixed, quote unquote fixed. That's a right. horrible word. I know, but, but saved, like helped, helped. Yeah, exactly. And like, I, I just feel like they were both at like these like precipice points, precipice points, and. You said something in Virginia story, like she built something from nothing. And I feel like they both did that. And then they're like, not only am I going to build it from nothing, but I'm going to run it. Like Cecilia was like, I'm not just going to like be a person who is positive for HIV and like survive. I am going to be someone who tested positive for HIV and I'm going to thrive. And I am going to help anyone that I can because that is like, what I'm here to do. And Virginia just, I don't think she ever saw Cuthbert as like any type of hindrance. I, and I think it that doesn't that's the, seem like oh, it. You know what it seems like to me? Okay. This is going to be really off track, but like it reminds me of like the deathly hollows when like the brother that, you know, gets to the end, like he welcomes death as an old friend because he learns to like live with it. You know what I'm saying? And the he's Peverells. like, the Peverells. And you know, and it's like, <laughs> I feel like both of them are like, you know what? Yes, I'm going to welcome this thing that is supposed to be a hindrance in my life. I'm going to welcome it as a friend and I am going to do something positive with it in the world. And I'm going to bring attention because you know what a fucking heckler is? A heckler is someone who brings attention. And I think that Cecilia's whole job is bringing attention to people that are ignored 
It is. And it's so funny because I think on the scales, like, so Cecilia is bringing attention to people who are ignored and she is their spokespiece. And it's like, Virginia is a heckler for those people. Yeah. She doesn't you, want anyone no, to know who she is. She's totally trying to fly under the radar. It's funny because it's like she wants, she wants the obvious to be stated, but yes. she doesn't want anyone to have to say it. No, absolutely. And also, I think, I mean, it's worth saying that Virginia could go to this other country and blend in because she was white. Mm -hmm. Whereas Cecilia had this, like, I showed up in this country with a majority of white people all of a sudden, and my entire life is different. No, absolutely. And I kind of like that, you know, Virginia lived her life and was like, nobody needs to see me. You know what? Don't picture me because I like it doesn't do anyone good to like see me right now because like I still have to do fucking spy shit. Whereas Cecilia is like, no, people should see me so they know that people like me fucking exist. Yeah. And uh, I just I think it's part and parcel of them being both two steps ahead all the time. I feel like Virginia was two steps ahead of everyone who was trying to fucking murder her. And <laughs> she was. And Cecilia is two steps ahead of the time. She's in the 90s being like, we need to protect fucking trans young youth sex workers and like Asian Pacific Islander people because like they're no one's paying attention to them because I wasn't being paid attention to. Yeah. So like just being again, like two steps ahead, like we need to be more inclusive. We need to pay attention to things outside our little bubble like and I just I I love that they had that in common of just being ahead I do and I think like I wish um I almost wish Victoria Hall and I know it was Virginia Virginia why did I do it I keep thinking it you jinxed yourself earlier I I think Virginia Hall she should have not she should have I wish she would have chosen to like be an activist for people who had prosthetic limbs because I know like there's this really cute video that was like viral on Facebook a couple weeks ago where there's this little boy who's like a toddler who had both of his legs amputated Mm -hmm. like from the knees down and he's learning to walk again and this like Olympic athlete with like two of those Blade Runner legs he's like showing him how to walk and he's like running down the hall and he's like come on buddy and the little kid is like with a walk or like oh trying but just that he could see him yeah. meant something important and i do think like having a prosthetic limb you do need representation oh, i know yeah. it's not a race or a gender or this or that but it's really hard yeah. <laughs> and like to see that this woman walked across mountains with one is yeah. like yeah you know what i can get up today it's cool yeah. it's really cool and yeah like, I understand why she didn't want to be well known, but I also like wish she would have. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, come on. Well, I'm sorry for blowing your cover, Vic- Virginia, <laughs> Victoria, Virginia, Victoria, Virginia, um, Hall, Hell, Hell, of all. Um, no, it wasn't us. It was the woman who wrote a woman of no importance. Okay, perfect. So we can blame her. Blame her. I also thought like having. Taking estrogen, getting fired versus having an amputation to getting a job is very similar. I thought, I don't know. I just, they were both bilingual. Mm -hmm. They were both about like hope in a general future. I don't know. 
they have a lot of interesting connections that I didn't expect. Well, and that's the whole reason we do this section. Sometimes like I, I feel like we don't state that enough is like Virginia Hall and Cecilia Chung should have nothing to do with each other on like a paper level. Right. <laughs> At all. You know, like no one would Except write that a- they have Catholic family. <laughs> right. And like the whole thing is like we often try to just pair people randomly to see how we can connect people from different times and spaces and circumstances. Sometimes we plan it specifically, like when we did like Poison Ivy and Julia Hill, you right. know, we're like, oh, cool. Like we can like Earth talk girls. about the environment, you know, <laughs> but like. A lot of times it is just like, let's see what happens in this conversation because the fact of the matter is we should be celebrating each other's differences and also seeing our commonalities and see how we can see each other as important and human. And I just think that this is such a great example of that of two people who like, I mean, totally should have each other, should have nothing to do with each other. Right. And yet we're talking about them together and uh, I just think it's it's really important to find commonalities with people yeah, who shouldn't have anything to do with each other. <laughs> it is fun. And it opens up a lot of things for me that I just would never, I don't know. I, I find that this is like one of my favorite parts of the show because I am flying by the seat of my pants because I don't have it. Like, we don't have notes. I don't have these commonalities in a script. I like write notes while we're doing the episode, but then like things just come come up and I, I don't know. I think it's... Yeah, I think it's one thing to tell a story, and then I think it's a totally different thing to see how that story applies to other people and see what we can learn from it in various contexts. I mean, it makes you realize that that whole aspect of we are all human. Yeah. And, like, there is – these are two women from different time periods – different races they were assigned different genders at birth Mm -hmm. they were treated different in life and i mean they went through different trials and yet we could find a a bulleted list of a (laughs) hundred things that are similar and incredible and whether it's as insignificant as they parted their hair to the side (laughs) or like (laughs) because that makes you good right or that like you know they were ahead of the game in different ways. I just, I love it. So it's great. Yeah. And if you guys find commonalities that, you know, we don't notice, Tell we would us. love to keep the conversation going. Cause sometimes I listen back to the episodes. I'm like, wow, I can't believe I didn't fucking say that. Um, oh my God. I, <laughs> and like, that the, happens to me all the time. Okay. So also in the last three episodes, I, <laughs> in the last three episodes, I have like, um, imitated an insensitive person and given them a southern accent every time <laughs> and now i'm feeling like that's really fucking like an asshole thing to do i i, I think about that all and i, I don't ever mean since, it i don't really mean that ever since i listened to the like npr coverage of dolly parton and like i listened in on a class that like southern kids have to take to get rid of their accent because people think that they're stupid and like it's never what we mean is just like a knee-jerk reaction yeah i just i did it last week and i was like and i I do it all the time i did it like two weeks before that and i have felt so guilty about it ever since because i do not think southern people are racist i do not think southern people are stupid yeah i just like draw on that accent and that is a part of my upbringing oh yeah i need to learn to well, change it's in the cultural zeitgeist it's right. like the narrative that like we are comfortable with because like 
Yeah, it's and then there's also like that journey of like I'm supposed to be a comedian that's relatable and this is relatable, right? Everybody knows what not I'm doing. Fucking funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not nice to like say that a person with a certain accent is racist. Yeah, I. So I'm very sorry to our southern listeners if we yes. have any, <laughs> if we have any left at this point. Just Misty, just Misty in <sighs> Georgia. All right, so we have a lot of listeners in Georgia, but they're blue now. So. Oh, that's true. Solely because of Misty. That's where <laughs> Casey's grandma lives. And we went a couple of years ago. And you know what? I had a really nice time a in Georgia. Bag up time <laughs> with your peaches. I saw the Chick-fil-A and it was very exciting. It was the fanciest Chick-fil-A I've ever seen. A lot of people protest Chick-fil-A. So watch out. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Not going to say I'm for it. I think that it's outrageous how many people idolize it to the point that they do every time. I Because I'm on the road literally all the time. And I look at the fucking drive through lines at Chick-fil-A. <laughs> and I'm like, it's just not that fucking good. Yeah, but they're real quick. They're good at it. They are good at it. But but it's because they it's use unbelievable. They use Christian teens that aren't having sex to make sure that it goes quick. That's true. Because lots of things are happening quick for them. That's true. I also know one that's unfortunately involved in a very big pyramid scheme. Oh. Um, Stop. He's like, I make full time income from my phone. I'm like, yeah, but you're still working at Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Um, you can totally cut All right, this. It's okay, we're not cutting it. This okay, it's perfect. Okay, we're gonna toast. We're gonna toast. Okay, Allie, who would you like to toast this evening? So this one's really important to me. So I just want to—I want to toast a good secret keeper. Oh, okay. So yes. some people that you know in your life are a steel trap, and I have a specific friend who. I know her name's Jesse. I know no matter. I'm not a steel trap, obviously. <laughs> Whatever I say to her is not going to be relayed to anyone on any occasion, no matter what. Yeah. And I think that is, that's a really selfless act. Yeah. Because from what I understand, and I'm like this, <laughs> when you have a secret to tell, it triggers this like emotion in your brain where oh, yeah. it's like, I have knowledge that you don't have. I'm super important. I want to tell it to you. And it's super cool. Oh yeah. Cause it puts you at like the center. Yes. Oh, I, I know that feeling so fucking well. <laughs> and it's, it's really, it's fun. It like triggers you. It makes you feel cool. Everybody wants to know what you have to say. Everybody yeah. wants to talk about it. And I just think it takes a really strong, strong person to say, I know this information. I am like the hub of yeah. the information. And yet I don't need to tell anyone. So I just want to cheers to women mm. and men out there that are secret keepers. Because mm. it's cheers. beautiful. I love it. Mm. Okay. What do you got? I'm going to toast to the women that see the bigger picture. Cecilia Chung sees everyone's identity as valid and important. And she works just so tirelessly to make sure that people feel seen and heard and represented and respected, which is something that we definitely need more of in this world. And I'm just so grateful that she is here just being like, don't forget that these people fucking exist. <laughs> 
And like, not just from like a social media standpoint, but from like a literal, like I am working to change laws so that these people can get fucking health care. So cheers to her. To Cecilia. Mm. All right, Allie, what are you enjoying in pop culture this week? So producer bought a cocktail smoker. And it was not very expensive. And just like it comes with a whole bunch of these different wood chips. And you just like put this little like plastic seal on top of your cup. And then it like you light the wood chips and it smokes the cocktail for like two minutes. And I think it's really interesting because then when you taste it, it tastes like it was near a grill. Ooh, okay. And my daughter, who is a vegetarian, so like the anything, anything she takes off of a grill or off of like a grilled surface is a vegetable. Yeah. She was like very interested in the idea that people liked the taste of smoke. <laughs> and I think that's cool that no, this is, is a very vegetarian thing. And in many cases, a vegan thing with cocktails yeah. that can be smoked. Yeah. And I liked that. And I was like, you know what, Eliza? I think you would really like this, but let's do it to zucchini first. <laughs> and then and when you're then. a little older, we can give you a smoked Manhattan. But yes. it was just a very inexpensive tool. And it just has like a plastic disc and a little tube and like a lighter. And you just put all these different taste smoky things. It was just really cool. And I, it was literally no prompting. So, I mean, it wasn't for me. Producer was like, I bought this thing for the podcast. It was really for him. Because we're constantly smoking on here. We're going to, we're going to smoke some cocktails. I can't wait. Miss Krista, we'll send you one. We might send you one just because you're so good to us. A smoked Manhattan sounds amazing. Cause I love, I mean, he can make you one in, 10 minutes. <laughs> I'll tell him to light up the All smoker. Right, time to bring it to family dinner. Um. <laughs> oh, he already said, he goes, once I get the hang of it, I'm going to take it to dad's. Oh my gosh. My dad would love it. Well, producer more than anything wants to impress his father. <laughs> like the most of the world. Yeah, it's true. Uh, it's pretty cute. That's adorable. I'm a little upset about it because I'm the most impressible person. (laughs) But it's cute that he wants to impress his dad. It's nice. It's nice. It's nice. (laughs) Okay. What do you have to promote? All right. I am finally going to promote Bridgerton. I know I'm like late to the bandwagon. But like it took me a little while to watch just because like um it's like my alone show mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it's like you know no, K- no casey yeah casey has his alone shows on like thursday nights when we're mm. recording the podcast and then i was like you know what i want my alone show when like he's working late and like you know i'm gonna watch or he's like you know woodworking in the basement or like whatever the hell he does and <laughs> when he lays brick with i know freeze. <laughs> <laughs> but i was like you know because like i just want something new so i was like everybody's talking about bridgerton so i watched it and i really really liked it um i just i love i love the costumes i love the characters i yeah i just really enjoyed it and i enjoyed this whole thing of like i don't know and i i'm I'm excited for the other seasons too that Mm -hmm. it's like because the books apparently are like each book is based on like a different Bridgerton's love life, mm-hmm. you know? So then like, to, like this season was all about Daphne, you right. know, you got snippets of everybody else, but then like, we're going to get everyone else's stories over time, which I like that you get a wide range of people, but like the focus is one person. Okay. Couple deep questions. Okay. 
Did you feel like there was a skipped episode at the end? Because I feel like there should have been an episode between the penultimate episode and the finale where he was very mad that she went through his father's papers. I was surprised that he was just like, okay. okay. I think there should have been that, but that's fine that there wasn't. But Mm -hmm. then also, other thing, I have loved... The um okay, so I called pretty early on. Oh, who that, with Lady Whistledown yeah, was yeah, yeah, me yeah. too. Of I course, like, I know exactly. <laughs> who this we know is. exactly who she is. Um, because she's just sitting around watching. But I have a loved her interviews recently. Have you looked at these online? No. So in every interview, people have asked her about her weight, and she just came straight fucking out on Twitter and everywhere and said, "This is inappropriate." My body is a tool as an actor. If I need to lose or gain weight for a role, then I will do so accordingly. Stop fucking asking people about it. And everybody was like, (laughs) (laughs) like, so like, yeah, stop fucking stop it. It's not okay. That's why like, I'm so obsessed with like my cousin who Emily, The Emily. queen of the world. I'm obsessed with her because like she is literally like a fitness trainer who like talks and she's a therapist and she like has talked so openly about like, yeah, these are like really like, you know, like, you know, bad ways to like talk and think about weight. And she's like, I was so, you know, concerned about like literally this number that like, you know, I was like making myself miserable. And she was like, I don't want to you know, exercise for X, Y, Z reason. She's like, I want to exercise because I fucking love it. And like, she's so good at it. And like, she knows all the muscles and whatever. I don't know that, but like, she's super. you cool. know, she's just really cool. And like, I find a lot of inspiration in her posts, even though I do not um, own any weights or do any. Oh my God. I do exercises. everything she says. Online. Really? <laughs> I need to. Once I get my, once I get my, my like yoga studio space also, back like, in my attic from my wedding DJ. Fuck, and it makes me feel so guilty. No. Constantly. Do How pretty not. is he though? He's so pretty. I know he's your brother. He's really pretty though. Yeah, but so is Casey and he doesn't do anything. Oh, Jake works out every day. Yeah, Casey doesn't, and he's yeah. so stupid. Well, this is um, our show. Well, yeah. <laughs> if you want more stuff like this, we get really personal um, in our Patreon. We'll pee first. Yeah, we'll pee first, and then we'll talk Patreon. Um, if you want to learn more about our personal lives, <laughs> personal lives and our struggles and our partners, um, we love you so much. Follow us on everything. Rate and review us if you can, if you have the time, if you have the energy. That would be the best, best, best. But also, um, I became friends with Alicia Gutierrez, but like on LinkedIn. <gasps> on LinkedIn. We have now been linked as professional uh, colleagues. So it's a little secret. Okay. My thing says Allie Bain, comma, EDD. Mm-hmm. And now I'm friends with this professor in California. That's amazing. We're you guys now. also like your flag. Um, that's She's really cool. Great. I need to get back on LinkedIn because I've oh, been yeah, ignoring you have a bear it. Flag. That's I've cool. been ignoring it because um, <sighs> my business was struggling. But what uh, if we over just share ago, each other's shit not. back and forth? That would be good. We should do that. Let's just do that. <laughs> Even though education and right on don't really have anything to do I mean, with But I also have a... I She'd like, test your schools. I have my education thing, and then I have the Her Story on the Rocks thing. Mm. So anytime I post something on Her Story on the Rocks, this is Alexandra Bain ah. posted this. Perfect. Uh, no, just as Allie Bain. Nobody knows who I am. <laughs> <laughs> okay. My God, okay. we have to go. All right. We have to go. We love you. Goodbye. See you next week. Ah!
listening to Her Story on the Rocks. We are independently produced by 1986 Entertainment and proudly recorded in Baltimore, Maryland. If there's a woman in history you would like us to cover, you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com. You can also message us on Twitter or Instagram. We post all of our cocktail recipes on Tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us. See you next week. Bye.